Warning, you are listening to a teaser. This will end abruptly and leave you wanting more and heading to our Patreon to get the full episode. We didn't want to do this. We were forced into this. So we just at least wanted to be upfront about it. Warning. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Seriously Wrong Podcast. My name is Sean, and by the process of elimination, you know the other voice is Aaron. <laughs> uh yeah (laughs) hi everybody (laughs) we're the two voices that will guide you through this conversation today thank you (laughs) i wanted to talk about this idea that's been floating around in our discussions in my head for a while now but we haven't really talked about in specific the idea is the platforms of freedom to explain what that means, I want to start by talking about this concept from Murray Bookchin. We talk about it in our Social Ecology Trilogy that we did with the Institute for Social Ecology, the forms of freedom. Bookchin's basic idea, and it's just a way of describing an idea that a lot of people share. There's a lot of ways to get at this sort of concept that Bookchin was getting at here, but I think this is a really profound and useful metaphor. Forms of freedom are institutions, social institutions, which enable people to have types of freedom that they couldn't have on their own in comparison to a sort of naive anarcho-capitalist libertarian idea of freedom, which is all about individual freedom without looking at the context that it arises from. The forms of freedom idea places that in the context of saying, well, actually, the ability to do things on an individual basis is across the board enabled by these institutions, these social contexts, these communities. And that gives us a framework to talk about the future, about what ought to be and what we should build in society, which is institutions and forms which enable greater freedoms for individuals, but also create new types of freedoms. In Bookchin's case, he's talking about using democratic assemblies as a way to create political freedoms in society that are unlike the lack of freedom of our current political system. When I think about forms of freedom, institutions that enable the context from which freedom can emerge, one really important aspect or what an institution in this sense is, is this human edifice that we've made in terms of how we're going to relate to each other with regards to specific important things like collective decision-making, regulating rules and defining interactions in such a way that helps facilitate people working together and deciding together in the best way possible. So it's about the social realm, defining different ways that we can relate to each other, setting that up as something that has this structure that we can participate in and change to meet our needs together. And that structure of defining relationships and having it be the way things are, that's kind of what an institutional form is. It's the form of the social realm in a way. I found this idea really interesting, and we talked about it a lot since encountering it and thinking through it. But the combination of words kept on sticking in my head, platforms of freedom, and they attempt to merge that idea into discourses around the socio-techno infrastructure of society, not just social media, but all sort of internet networked enabled media and all social realms within that. It seems to me like we have these platforms, not just social media platforms, but other platforms, not just Facebook, but also Wikipedia, 
not just Twitter, but also the Pirate Bay, Discord, IRC. There's been all these different places where types of communication, networking, freedom exist in these ways that are abridged by the profit motive. It really strikes me as a discussion worth having and something worth thinking about. What sort of frontiers could we have within the socio-technical artifice of the internet, social media, and so on, that can enable higher levels of democratic freedom and can give people not just the opportunity to vote on things, although voting on things is often superior to not voting on things, but really create a democratic society using technology using social technology, using the hardware that we already have in terms of phones and computers, the internet infrastructure we already have, using that to enable and create platforms and institutions which can enable political freedoms beyond our, I almost said, I didn't want to say wildest dreams, but no, but beyond our wildest dreams. There's the real possibility to use technology this way. If we think about it this way and set out to do it, to maximize the political freedom of society using technological infrastructure, which is a break from what Bookchin wanted to do, which is emphasizing face-to-face democracy. I feel like there's a real value in figuring this out because social technology could be part of the solution to the problem of democracy, or the challenges of implementing democracy. There's going to be online cultural institutions. Face-to-face, I think, has a part and it all can work together in various ways, but a lot of this is going to have to happen online or just will happen online because it's available. I think it's just a fact that platforms like the Facebooks, the Wikipedias, Twitters, Pirate Bays, etc., are already cultural institutions. They are sets of rules that define social interactions within a certain sphere. If you go on Twitter, there's rules defining how you interact with people. You have to talk in sound bites. You can retweet, you can quote tweet, you can respond, you can heart. That's that's your available options. There's these guardrails set up on how social interaction happens on these platforms. And there's a lot of social critiques of the way that these platforms are designed to keep people addicted, keep them doom scrolling, keep them looking at advertisements, keep them angry so that they stay on the platform longer. You mentioned the profit motive being this incentive that's skewing how we're designing these major platforms in society, these major institutions of how we interact with the world. Twitter is a place where public people of all sorts make statements to the world all the time, and they get reported on by news journalism institutions. Twitter is a cultural institution at this point. The fact that the way that it's designed isn't designed with enabling freedom in mind, but designed with profit for Twitter's investors in mind is a social problem. That intention behind that is a social problem. And what intention do we want our institutions to have if they are going to be platforms of freedom rather than platforms of making Jack Dorsey money? Then for me anyway, for us, I think it comes back immediately to democracy defining how we can make platforms that are genuinely democratic using these kinds of technologies, but with a different intention behind them, I think is an incredibly important question, question for the ages.
the shapes of these containers of these social networks like you're talking about has a profound effect on the outcomes that are created by them, like the 280 character thing or the way that outrage is incentivized and the way that media outlets have this financial incentive to tweak their headlines in ways that elicit certain reactions. And that all works in this gross stew of bringing out aspects of human potential by the design of the platform. The question is, how do we create those same types of container shapes, if you will, that enable human thriving and flourishing? Today's episode of Seriously Wrong is brought to you by the vast and wonderful potentials of existing information technology and the ways in which our society undermines their development. Take, for example, Facebook, which has the beautiful, wholesome potential to help us make connections to our friends and our families and our communities and have richer, more thriving social lives, as well as the potential to help people participate in political life in a meaningful, organized way. And yet it's corrupted by the profit motive and monopoly and the drive to command people's attention for as long as possible, to collect as much data as possible, incentivize conflict, not to help people connect better, but to sell it to advertisers and make money with that personal information about users from third parties. That's the real interaction. That's how that potential's been corrupted. Another example of this incredible potential that persists despite the misuse of the premises, despite the misuse by specific institutions, is the world of e-readers and e-books, or even the reading of books on phones, computers, tablets, wherever you can read things digitally. It has the potential to give everyone access to the entire library of humanity, all of planet Earth, in all languages. At a moment's notice, it could allow people to look into any topic, like Wikipedia, but have access to all of the sources, all of the studies, all of the books, all the scientific papers. That's possible. That's what the liberatory possibility of e-reader technology is, but it's corrupted by the profit motive and a social construction called intellectual property that walls people off with price walls from the vast majority of human knowledge and prevents human flourishing. Or take, as another example, ride-sharing apps like Uber, Lyft, etc. These have the potential to use what already exists out there in the world, the individual cars that people have, to connect people who have that to the people who need it and make transportation more accessible to more people. And to do that in areas with holes in public transportation systems, in places where it's really needed. And in places where more cars on the road isn't going to be a problem. But this potential becomes corrupted by the profit motive. These companies underpay drivers in a race to the bottom, in a race to make the most amount of profit off of their backs and dispatch them to any area where they can make money, areas where they compete with existing public transit and clog up roads with unnecessary extra vehicles, providing multiple tiers of transportation based not on who needs it the most, but who can afford to call an Uber. A force that could make things more equal, contributing once again to more inequality in the system. Another example of this is search engines, you know, Google and Yahoo and I mean, just Google at this point. Uh, <laughs> search engines have the potential to help users find the information they need when they need it without limits. Advanced search functions can be used to help 
filter out the data you're looking for, and it can be made more fluent and easy for people of any skill level and any level of experience, even going so far as to having the help of a curator or someone who's helping them navigate the system for their first time. Search engines could be a way to catalog and access human knowledge in a user-friendly way that makes everyone in the world wiser for their access to it. The base level intelligence of our society can be increased by having systems ensuring access to the information that people need to make decisions or to learn how to do things and so on. But in the current system, it's corrupted by the profit motive to create these cyclical arms races to game algorithms for advantage to make more sales or sell more scams. Search engines, they sell for pay to placement results. They call it advertising, but it's pay for placement results on the first page. They also alter results based on business or political interference or relationships with those sectors. The way that our system is set up right now does not allow search engines to reach their full potential because they have to focus all of their energy on the advertising side, on the segmenting side, and on the profit-making side, rather than helping people access information when they need it. So there you have it. Some outstanding, world-historical, revolutionary, beautiful potentials of information technology that still exist today despite the ways they are corrupted and undermined by the current society that exists. And it's always important to note that these potentials aren't gone just because they aren't being implemented just yet or because the opposite of them might be being implemented. The final part of the story has not been written yet. The question of whether this undermining will continue forever until society crumbles or course will be reversed and these potentials will be realized remains to be seen. So stay tuned to the future of society in the world and survive the waves of unpredictable weather upcoming to find out. Or if you dare to do more than sit and wait and watch, be a part of creation. Be a part of the co-creation of the future, a new ecological climate survival commons where people can come together and share the information that's gonna be required to not only survive severe climate events, but begin to reverse course and create a political movement to actually utilize the liberatory potentials of technology. Maybe this ad is brought to you by you. Yeah, silly me. I was thinking like an advertiser and just telling people to stay tuned, stay tuned, stay tuned. But this could be bi-directional. You don't just have to stay tuned. You can participate in the world. This isn't actually a real advertisement. You don't just have to stay tuned. There's more to it than that. That's a great point. Thank you. Now back to our show. <laughs>